faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more. Well, thanks again for joining me for another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. If you know me at all and you have talked to me in the last six months, you know that I am getting ready to help my first kiddo head off to college. And the reason why I bring this up is because I feel like there's a lot of information out there in the world about college, college, college applications, all of these things. I haven't done any of this in 30 years. So when I started to think about how in the world I was going to figure out how to navigate this, I thought, who do I trust? Who do I know? Who knows what to do? And the first call I made was to, t- was to today's guest, my friend, the CEO, head honcho, and man in charge, Chris Hammer, who is the owner and operator of CMH Tutoring and Consulting. He also happens to be uh, a resident expert on all things great New Jersey food, all things uh, college student application, how to do well on the tests and everything else. So for those of you in my audience who care enough to see your kids go off to college or at least figure out the process. Uh, of graduating high school and making your next move. Listen in, tune in, because my friend Hammer is among the best. Thank you, my friend, for being with me. Thank you very much for having me. So, true disclosure, we've been friends a lifetime. Let's not do the numbers. A long time. That's classified information. Two kids from uh, what was formerly known as the Trenton State College and now is the College of New Jersey. Friends for life. Um, mm-hmm. How in the world after you, so you went to Trenton State. Uh, tell me a little bit about what did you major in and how in the world did you land in this space where now you are advising and counseling young humans on what to do after high school? Well, I have a elementary ed and psychology double whammy from TCNJ. And I briefly worked in retail. I worked in retail through high school and college. I worked at Nordstrom after and did substitute teaching. I helped my Catholic grammar school with their middle states accreditation. And I loved teaching and helping them out, but the lack of a paycheck made it slightly problematic. And a mutual contact of ours, a fellow Greek life member, was planning to go to law school, but he couldn't afford to pay for the prep class. And he said, look, I trained to teach for the LSAT and I'm not a teacher, but you have a teaching background. He would crush this. And that was back in 1996. I worked for the Princeton Review for 21 years. I was their very first premier tutor in the country in 2002. And then I eventually moved up to train and be a master trainer for test of English as a foreign language. I would travel to different offices and franchises for the Princeton Review and train new teachers. So it's been a long journey. And so, and you were so there for 21 years, which is like, it's great. That's a great long run. Um, but the world has changed so much since oh, yeah. you and I went to school and mm-hmm. went to college and did the SAT and all these things. The world has evolved so much. Tell me a little bit about how the world has evolved. Like, I know this a little bit because we've talked, but I know that my friends and my colleagues all want to know a little bit more too, because this is like a whole new world for us. We're all kind of learning on the spot. What's different? Yeah. Well, first and foremost, everything in a word is digital. 
Not only will the tests change, the PSAT, if you have a sophomore or junior this year, will be digital this fall. And the SATs, the last paper-based test will be this December, starting in the spring of 2024, the test will be digital as well. And of course, applying, I don't know if you used a typewriter, but I did Mm -hmm. to fill up my applications. Now with Common App and all the other software that's out there that different schools use to help keep track of information, um, it can be very daunting. But the key is, just as it was before, to start early. There's no such thing as uh, being too premature. That's one of the grammar rules I test kids on, too. Yeah. Yeah. And and that makes a ton of sense. And I think the one thing that surprises me so much, absolutely, I use the typewriter. Absolutely. I mean, it was a million years ago, Hammer. I can't even remember all, all the ways we did it. But we literally filled out each and every application separately. And now is there's this funnel, there's this common app that's that's available to us. When we have a digital test, though, as opposed to Scantron and number two pencils like us kids way back <laughs> when used, how do you train differently for something like that? I mean, there has to be some new ch- tips and tricks that you must be thinking about and ways to help the kids sort of think about that. What kinds of things are you training differently now? I know that the SAT alone, a PSAT alone, has its own kind of language and its own cadence. And I know that you teach that well. What what new tips and tricks are you giving the kids today as they get ready for the digital test? One of the biggest challenges is that on the current paper tests, the PSAT, SAT, and the ACT, because I know plenty of people may still be taking that too, sure. all the questions are worth the same number of points. Every oh. question, whether it's supposedly easy, medium, or hard, is worth the same. The digital test has two cohorts of reading and writing and two cohorts of math. The second of each technically is 40% weighted based on how you did on the first half. So for instance, if Lisa, being the smart, brilliant woman that she is, gets every single question in the first half correct, her questions are going to be significantly harder. And each of those questions is going to be worth 40% more than in the first set. I, on the other hand, only get half of my questions right. So the level will stay about the same, but again, the level of the questions will be 40% more difficult. The biggest challenge is time management because the test itself on paper, you can see everything in front of you as opposed to online, of course, you see one question at a time for reading, one question at a time for math, and you are able to go back and forth if you choose to, quote, skip a question, but it's keeping track of it that's difficult. Mm. And even though teenagers, of course, are way more digitally adept than we are, our generation, it's still something that's new. And because it's new and it hasn't yet been fully implemented in the States, it's been run internationally for the past school year, there may still be bugs and kinks to work out. There is also two, and not part of the questions I gave you in advance, Stand by for the uh, for the left for this coming out of left field, but I think you're ready for it because we've talked about it on the side. Um, test and test optional is a big thing, even more so now since COVID. Like there's so many schools that are saying yes or no. What kinds of counsel do you give folks about whether or not they submit or don't submit test scores? I'm a firm believer in better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And in one word, I can give you the reason why: money. Scholarships and many programs that are 
broad in their scope of what they can award and how they can award it still would like some kind of metric. It is almost impossible. I went to Catholic high school. You went to public high school. Both of us are from the same county. And we both know, even within the Shore Conference, every person's high school experience was different in terms of their class sizes, in terms of their strength of their academic transcript and the like. The only true way to give any kind of student evaluator, be it an admissions committee, a scholarship committee, if you have a certain score, it shows that you at least understand how to follow directions and hopefully get what you need. Mm. I, I tell students and parents, because of score choice, which also did not exist back in our day, that yeah. even if you take the test more than once and don't get what you want, you don't have to send anything at all. And schools will only see what you choose to release, which is huge. Yeah. So it's kind of like swinging freely for the fences because the only people who will ever know are you and your parents and your tutor, possibly. Right. right. So there's a value in taking the test. And then you get to evaluate depending on what the test scores are, if you decide you want to send or not. Um, Correct. But sending to also, provided it's a, it's a reasonably good score, um, having that there is just more information for the admissions office to consider as they're weighing whether or not you're a good fit for the school itself. And as I mentioned, scholarships. Yeah. There are programs both locally, regionally, nationally that do want it. And and again, there are some specific programs within a university that are STEM-related, computer science, engineering, nursing, that still require. And, and it ties into how many students are applying for a certain number of seats. It's not as if NYU, Stern, or UPenn Wharton is all of a sudden going to double the size of their finance right. major award. So you have to know your demographics. And if you are a male considering education or nursing or a female considering engineering or computer science, those odds tend to make things in your favor. Right. College is now 60% female enrollment across the board. Yeah. And that means that when you have, in your case, an older son and you have a younger daughter, even if they're a couple years apart, it's a completely different set of rules. Yeah. That's so interesting. And I want to come back to that because I think as much as we probably have zero interest, I have zero interest in getting into the politics of the world, which is why I started this podcast about things tangential to politics, but not politics. Um, getting to the affirmative action um, decision would be interesting as we go along here, but stand by because I'll come back to that. Because I'm curious, as we talk about admissions and we talk about everything else, there's a couple of words that to me, I'm still wrapping my brain around and I'm hoping that you'll help me understand better. There's early decision and there's early mm -hmm. action. And, and there's also like a democracy, like um, the demographics of like specific majors. So that's kind of what you started to get into. But talk to me a little bit about those different terms as we start to think about applications. What What's the difference between the two? Early decision is your engagement ring. It is the one. You know that that's where you plan to attend if you are accepted. And in many cases, if not most cases, it's binding. Early action, on the other hand, I treat in a sense like the early bird gets the worm. Since I just mentioned that a college or university's major tends not to increase the number of students that they can enroll because they only have, let's say, 150 nursing seats 
in their incoming class of 2028 for next year, you have to know, okay, if it's 90% female, 10% male, is it mostly in-state or out-of-state? Early birds get the worm. And by that, I mean the, the analogy I use for students and parents, concert tickets. Now, I'm not talking Taylor Swift because, of course, that would mean <laughs> there are possible tasks to get them. But if you realize, OK, certain cardholders get early access and then you may have a pre-sale code. And by the time it gets open to the regular public, you say, oh, all the good seats are taken. Since there is no such thing as a good seat or a bad seat, it's just a seat for college. The sooner you can get your application in, most schools now are evaluating applications on a rolling basis, which would mean maybe once every three to four weeks, they'll batch process what's been received and render decisions. But mm. as I tell everybody, if you're old enough to remember what a TV guide is in an actual booklet, check your local listings because every <laughs> school is different. Yeah. And where do you get the best research for schools, Hammer? Where do you find that? Well, I tell people that your college counseling or guidance office in high school is your first stop. It is not your only stop. Mm -hmm. Clearly, students can go online. And some students and parents may say, well, do we have to hire a college counselor who's NACAC certified? You might, you, depending on your position, depending on what your bent is, what your goals are. Some students feel that that's a necessity. If, of course, you're a recruited athlete or a gifted musician or a talented artist, you probably will put together some sort of recruitment video, highlight reel, portfolio, uh, tape, what have you. But ultimately, the re main reason you still have to deal with your high school college counseling or guidance offices, they're the gatekeepers. They're the ones that provide the colleges and universities your transcripts. They're the ones who will have to write an evaluation or a recommendation for your son or daughter. And that means you have to be nice to them. Yeah. And if you know who they are, if you don't know who they are, and I understand things change from year to year and minute to minute in a school, you need to make sure that one of the things you take away, you can all open up your notepads on your phone and contact, make a note to contact your high school guidance office yeah. to set up an appointment right when school starts. That's good. And that's and it's really good to do that. I think um, we're lucky enough here in our district that we have a very strong program here in the high school that actually really does serve the kids very well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, but I got to tell you, I mean, and anybody who has any, any, any age child uh, or even maybe a badly behaved parent knows that there is really a lot that has to get done in a short period of time and motivating a kid to do any of that, whether it's write the essay, fill out the paperwork, do it is, I mean, there's not enough money and, or, uh, candy Chipotle or gift Chipotle gift cards, you name it. <laughs> what kinds of things do you think? And every kid's different. So I'm not looking for like, you know, the, the, the kill switch here. How do we make it work? What kinds of things do you think have you seen work in the past that end up being good motivators to get this done? Well, I, again, do not condone violence in any way, shape or form. <laughs> Let me make that perfectly clear. I can't speak for Mrs. Miller. Just kidding. Um, I will say that addition by subtraction is wonderful. And by that, I mean, you want something from them. And unless or until they produce that, you set reasonable goals and deadlines, knowing, of course, that your student or if you're the parent, your child may not always hit those goals or hit those assignments. And whatever privileges or uh, 
goodies that you may have, whether it's their Netflix password or their Wi-Fi code or using the car, cutting their allowance, whatever it happens to be. Bartering also works. Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to go to that concert? Well, in order to go to that concert and for mom and dad to get you those tickets, you need to have this done by this date. Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer, and you know this, I communicate always in text messages to students and parents jointly, because we all know if you try to email a student, you will get crickets. Yeah. And they, they don't check reply. their email. Yeah. They, it's, that's a generational thing. I had a student once tell me look, two years ago, I don't use email. Email is for old people. And the mom got as white as <laughs> a goat. And I said, well, unless you figured out a plan to text message your application to a university, I strongly suggest that you learn how to use email. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and it's something that they, it's, it's all generational. We talk about this in like the volunteer program that my daughter's in, some of the other things that my son's in. I have to remind the kids, I've actually had to teach them how to search email in order to find notes that should be coming through. Um, mm-hmm. So ultimately you want to be clear and you want to be consistent and follow through. I mean, we do it in our lives. I know I'm speaking to people who are in the media world and some are journalists on different forms of media. And we all know you're under a deadline. Mm -hmm. And if Common App comes out on August 1st, I don't wait until August 1st to have students start. I try to get students to start working right after 4th of July weekend so that by the time school starts in Labor Day, they're done with the vast majority of the data entry. They have at least two essays from the Common App Complete. And if the schools have released their supplemental forms, which may include some short answer questions, they've got that to work on too. Yeah. Well, it is definitely slow and steady. And I'm grateful for you for all of your counsel on all of that. Um, In terms of I don't want to get into politics, so I'm coming back to this just just briefly for a moment. Affirmative yeah. action obviously is is key and critical and important, and every school has a set of information that they look for, whether it be demographic, whether it be um, major and and interest based. All of those things. Is there a place you mentioned? You know, if there's how many women, how many men? Is there a resource there too? Uh, is there a guide? Is there information you can find? Where do you go online to learn more about the school, about that kind of information specifically? Well, depending on the university or, or program, I always say go directly to the source. And that would be if it's a department, the department chair or the dean of a specific college or university's website or webpage. If mm. they're not listed, putting the information out there specifically. Sometimes the information is a little bit more covert. You have to do a little bit more digging. But in most cases, when you look at application information that's posted on a general website, I'm going to use TCNJ as a, for instance, it will tell you the average SAT score or the average student GPA. And you have to dig a little bit deeper than that, because again, the standards for nursing or engineering may be different than those for communication, psychology, finance, and the like. Mm. So I always say contact the school, the office of the department chair, or the dean's office for whatever particular school or college that a university has. The important thing, though, is to understand, over time, even if you have a child who's in a certain school, and I'll use my sister as a for instance, I was a senior, and my sister applied to Trenton State at the time with a higher GPA, a better SAT score and more involvement. And she was flat out rejected. Mm. So just because what you read in a guide or what you know from someone who applied two or three years ago doesn't necessarily hold weight now. 
Yeah. It constantly evolves. Yeah. And that's why the essays are so important because they illustrate who the kid is beyond sort of the data points of their data, their SAT, their GPA, and otherwise. If you're writing anything in your college essays or supplemental answers that's somewhere else in your application, you need to tell your children, your students, you need to come up with something different because we don't already, we don't need something to already be written and then elaborate on it again. I want to know something specific about you, your experiences, your successes, your failures, your character. Mm -hmm. And that makes all the difference in the world. Even if I'm going to throw one quick example, good friend of mine who, you know, his daughter applied to the honors program at Rutgers and she wanted to write about her experience as a beekeeper. And they were horrified thinking, oh, you're applying to the honors program. It's so competitive. That has nothing to do with anything you've done in school. And I said, if it brings her joy to channel my inner Marie Kondo, mm-hmm. let her keep it, let her use it. And she got in. Yeah. So finding something new and different, not necessarily justifying your grades, justifying your SAT, talking about something they can already find in the application, find something new and fresh and different. I, I will say, since you mentioned, you know, talking about if you had a lower GPA for a certain semester, if you had a certain struggle or certain calamity. And every single student who was a senior in college, entering senior year college now was in eighth grade, spring of their eighth grade when the pandemic hit, which does not mean that you can't address that. The Common App this year is adding a question specifically addressing how did the pandemic affect you and what changed, what was better, what was worse. So I'm not saying that you can't write about it, but I'm sure you all know what an addendum is. And that's the extra essay at the end. Is there anything else that you'd like us to know that doesn't fit into any of our questions? Mm -hmm. So if there is something that is kind of an outlier, that's where it should go. Got it. That's awesome. Okay, good. Enough about college. Um, I love, love, love all this good advice. And I know that all my friends who are also trying to figure this thing out will be grateful for that. Um, In the show notes, they can find contact information and ways to connect with you so that if they need or want advice or counsel or even some counseling and coaching for testing, that that's exactly what you do. You do all that kind of work. Um, And I do all work online. Yep, so, and it's all online, yep, I, so easy enough to be virtual. Could be DC based, could be California, could be anywhere. Um, and as a happy and um, grateful customer, I will also say that you did, in fact, help my own kiddo and will help kid number two as well when that one gets ready. So when you're not coaching and when you're not advising about colleges and SATs and other things, uh, what's keeping you busy? Aside from my receding hairline and my expanding waistline. Um, I'm a big foodie. I love to cook. Unfortunately, I love to eat more. Um, and Lisa and I could probably start our own vlog podcast just about food. No doubt. Jersey. I'm a huge New Jersey political junkie. And I have several friends. We have mutual friends involved in the political realm. And I said, it's the best soap opera that you can't even write. Yeah, you no just doubt. Can't. <laughs> it's 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 interesting. And you started just in case you're some of your listeners that maybe knew you started in New Jersey politics, did you not? Yes, I sure did. Yep. Yeah. Almost. 10 I, years. I, love, I love local history. I teased my late mother, God rest her soul. She used to say you went from being a class trip geek to just being a geek. And I love going to the different historic sites in New Jersey and elsewhere for that matter. And I cannot wait. And I'm going to say this word correctly. It's the semi quincentennial in 2026. 
all the different sites that will be ready for our 250th anniversary, as long as our country doesn't implode in the meantime. Oh, um, well, we'll see about all I, that. <laughs> I, I, I also want to briefly mention mentoring. I, I have been a mentor in my college fraternity. You as a fellow Greek Life member um, know the value of being able to pay it forward. And that's been my mantra long before it was made into a movie. And I firmly believe that anything that you pick up from this podcast or anything from Lisa's guests, please share this. Not only because I want this to have the most views and listens of any of her podcasts, but also because I think this information is relatively timeless. It is timeless. And it's incredibly important. And I love the the fact that you talk about mentoring, because as much as we talk about mentoring, we also in this town in Washington, D.C., talk a lot about networking. And so mm-hmm. and being, and being in the friend making business, right? I mean, nothing is talked about more than the incivility and some of the other things that are happening amongst us and the globe. The one thing that people, young kids coming out of high school, grownups looking for new jobs, people like us who've been friends for over 30 years, um, you know, mentoring, networking, and the value of friendship and and helping one another is so incredibly important. Um, Mm -hmm. Because we probably don't have enough time to get too far into it, I have one really important question for you, and then I need to ask you for a recommendation. If you had one food left, and I think I know the answer to this, one food left that you had, the only one you could eat, your favorite summertime food, or maybe your favorite New Jersey food, what would it be? I'm going to say Jersey fresh, fresh produce as a, as a broadband category, but being of Italian American descent, if you take tomatoes away from me, I just might cry. Yeah. And I think, I think anybody who's been to or through New Jersey may laugh when they hear that Saver magazine rated New Jersey's food culture as the best in the country. And because we both come from the same area and we have our traditions of our families and what we've made, I think it's really important to savor what you have wherever you are and share it with other people. Absolutely agree. And I had a I had a guest on months back who now has his own podcast that talks about food and the value of food in terms of culture. And while we're from the U.S., he was not from the U.S. and talked about having those great recipes here in the U.S. that bring him back to his memories of home and family. I think that's also true. I never will forget my mother telling me the story about how she used to eat tomatoes as a kid like an apple because the Jersey tomato is just such a great, unbelievable um Oh, well, I could go on for a week about that. So as we come to the end of our 30 minutes, Hammer, I am so incredibly grateful, not only for your friendship and for your funny and witty and great, just all around, just good time stuff that we talk about all the time. I always ask for a recommendation for someone to talk to for a future episode. And I know that you do a little bit of radio in Cape May County, and I know that you do have a lot of friends that are in the politics world. Who do you think would be a fun conversation for the future? Wow, a fun conversation for the future. It, does, it doesn't have to be political. Could be anybody you think would be fun to have a conversation with. I think my great friend, Steinway artist, concert pianist, Chad Lawson, who does the Calm It Down podcast, I know Lisa's podcast is my favorite, but his is a strong number two. He is a Steinway recording artist and a phenomenal friend. I nicknamed him the Madeline Whisperer. His music and his soul and his spirit, he does mindfulness, recovering from grief, staying in the present moment, gratitude, all of those things. It is worth 
listening to, please go to chadlawson.com. He is a saint and a great, great musician. I love that. I love it. I'm going to totally tell him that you sent him your way, sent me his way. And I'm going to keep asking you a million questions about all the things. I can't wait to meet you again soon in New Jersey for a a slice or maybe three or four from Rizzo's because that's our favorite. And I uh, am so grateful for your time, my friend. Thank you. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast, a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. Thanks so much. Thank you.